Welcome to the like, Destiny Podcast. Okay, so just so you get a chance to... I'm going to read out a few facts about myself um, to introduce myself in a bit more detail so that you guys get a chance to get to know me a bit better. Okay, so my name's Ben. Uh, surname Hughes. Middle name Simon. <laughs> Interesting, uh, same middle name as my dad's. Um, uh, I love football. You're making notes about it. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make notes. Yeah, I love football, but to be honest with you, it took me a long time to admit that I love football because um, I, I didn't like the idea of liking the same sport that was like the most popular sport in the country. So when I went to uni, I spent like a whole year playing water polo for like the uni. And then, and then after a year of playing it, I was like, I don't really enjoy it that much. And I sort of realised that, and then I just decided, right, I'm just going to play football. So I play football. Um, another thing about me is that my pet hate is having to pay for condiments in a fish and chip shop. If you buy chips, why do you, why you have to pay for tomato ketchup? It just doesn't make sense. And then uh, another thing about me is that I'm a singer. I love to sing, and then um, I have... Like, I literally sing all the time, um, and it's weird because... Some people sort of get songs stuck in their head for like a day or two, but I literally, I remember when I was in third year at uni and I had one song stuck in my head for the entire year and it was a, a Lamar song called If There's Any Justice in the World. Yeah, I had that, literally for a whole year I'd sing that song. Um, yeah, and then I had the, yeah, I had the Hobbit theme tune stuck in my head for about four years. Um Okay, so that's a bit about me. Oh, and another thing about me is I've never experienced deja vu and I've always wanted to experience it. And it's, I hate the fact that I, like, I want to experience what it's like. Well, who can explain that? I've yeah, never... Yeah, well, I've never experienced that, and I'd like to experience that. Okay. Okay, all right, I'm going to pop this here because it's pulling on my thing. Okay, so another thing about me is... Another thing about me is that um, I'm currently working as a structural engineer... Um, which is something I studied for at uni. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the person. I'm, well, kind of what I'm talking to you about first is about creativity and and what it means to have faith with, to be creative and uh, be a pioneer in, in a sense. And I think become a bit more obvious what it is during the process of it, but it's basically about creativity. And before we start, I wanted to introduce you to a guy that, first inspired me to be a structural engineer and you've got I've got his picture here it's a guy called Peter Rice and he actually he died 20 years ago but um he was kind of a pioneer in structural engineering industry because he was the first person to um kind of encourage engineers not to be um stereotypical engineers in the sense of be so focused on practice pragmatism and trying to get thing, something to work but he actually encouraged engineers to um, 
be creative, essentially be creative. And uh, he wrote a book. Um, but before I tell you what the book was called, like one of the things that he was um, thinking about when he wrote this book was the question he was asking himself was, what is an engineer? Um, and he was thinking, you know, I guess like you could sort of have a lot of solutions. You could have a lot of answers to that question. You could say an engineer builds, an engineer designs, an engineer calculates, an engineer thinks, an engineer um, organizes or solves problems. But the thing that he narrowed it down to, and the th this is what he 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 wrote his autobiography and he called it this and he called it an engineer imagines because he he bottled it down to the fact that you know if, if you limit engineering to be any of the things that i mentioned before then it limits engineering to be about you're only an engineer if that thing actually gets created because if, if you if the object you're working on doesn't get built or or you know it doesn't work like you imagined it would um then you're not an engineer, but he, his, his definition of an engineer is someone who imagines, who dares to dream, and dares to break sort of, you know, um, the cycle of how things have always been done. Um, and I think, like, he, he was one of the first people to kind of get me into engineering. He spoke a lot about um, bridging the gap between architects and engineers, and he talked about how architects work in this plane called the metaphor which is like where they sort of they think of these like elaborate ideas um but nothing actually but it's, it can be quite abstract and not actually linked to reality but en and engineers can work on the other level where it's so linked to sort of what they've always done and structure that they lose the they lose the ability to actually think outside the box and he was trying to bridge the gap um yeah, and I think, like, in our faith, engineering, in that sense, we can learn a lot from engineering because what engineers are meant to be doing is they're rooted in the reality, in the reality of the world we live in. They're governed by the physical laws, but they try and think of ways to overcome those laws and, and think of new ideas to, um, uh, you know... Um, Yeah, just new creative ideas to overcome and, and live outside of that, those laws in, in a sense. And I think uh, like that's a big part of what our, we're called to do as, as sort of followers of Jesus, that we're, we're, we're rooted in the reality of this world, but we're also called to live from a greater reality of heaven on earth and Christ in us. And uh, yeah, so that's, what, that's the link with, uh, with Peter Rice, because I think um, he was someone that got that. Um, in engineering terms, and yeah, he's really inspired me in the past. Um, so yeah, when we start uh, now, I'm just going to look at. We're going to have a look at um, a book, a story in Numbers, Numbers 13. Have you guys got your Bibles? Um, it's just we're going to look at the story of the twelve spies that went into that went into uh, Israel. Um, I'll just read. I'll just uh, start reading um, from verse one. When you guys are ready, give me a nod. Uh, I'm reading NIV, but 
Wo habe ich gegangen? Geht's da? Ja. It's more about the story, so we won't worry too much about every every word translated. But uh, yeah, so I want, I'll just read, start from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. With a... Oh, I'm reading, I'm reading Exodus. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Only the Lord said. Oh, God. Right, the Lord said to Moses... It actually starts the same. The Lord said to Moses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you're like this is different. <laughs> Send me some men to explore. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan. This is the right one, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leader, leaders. So at the at the Lord's command, Moses sent them to the desert of Paran. All of them were the leaders of Israel. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, son of Zachar. From the tribe of uh, Simeon, um, Shapat. I nearly said Snapchat. <laughs> Shapat, son of Hori. Tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Uh, the tribe, uh, I'll, I'll soldier on with these names, why not? From the tribe of Ish, Ishaka, Igel, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Ho- Hoshia, son of Nun. Tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi. Uh, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Setho, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vofshi. From the tribe of Gad, Gul, son of Maki. Okay, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joseph. Okay, yeah, so it's fairly easy to follow so far. Moses selected a, you know, a guy from each of the tribes and sent them, and basically just sent them to explore the land which they'd been promised by God. And uh, and the, and then we read on in verses uh, seventeen, kind of what their mission was. It outlines sort of their as if they were sort of, well, they are spies. You imagine it like they're in a board meeting, they're getting like briefed on their mission. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do you do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land? It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went on and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up towards the Najiv and came out to Hebron where Ahiman, Shisha and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had uh, been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. 
that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the, the cluster of grapes Israel cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So yeah, you, they go and they come back and they do everything that they was asked of them. Um, what I find interesting, just to pick up on a small point, is that um, when Moses is telling them what, what to report back, he says, um, he says, uh, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. And I love that because it's not, he's not saying, tell me exactly how many there are and tell me their size and everything. He's not working in facts, but what he's working in is perspectives. So he's asking them to, in their opinion, do they look strong or weak? Are there are there lots or are they few? And and it's and it's sort of a it's more of an issue of what do they perceive the enemies to be like rather than he's asking them exactly how many there are. And I find that quite interesting because we actually see we see as we go through the story how these twelve spies they saw exactly the same thing. But they had very different perceptions and uh, perspectives about actually what was, you know, what was in the what was in the land, and uh, and I find that quite interesting. So we'll, 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 I'll just carry on from verse twenty six. A report on the exploration. So this is when they come back and they report to Moses and Aaron about you know what they've seen and what they've done the last forty days. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who, there, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Zebuzites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So it's a really interesting passage, this, because you see... um, you see basically the perception of the spies. And it's, there's, even though they saw the same thing, there's complete opposites in how they perceive that and, and their, their response to that, that reality. So it's, <laughs> it's quite interesting how um, you've got this from 26 to 29. You've just got them quoting about how big the enemies are and how strong the enemies are. Says, um, you know, it quotes all these different, these different um, sort of communities of people that live in different areas, and then it says in verse thirty, there's just a small glimmer of hope from Caleb. He speaks up in verse thirty, and he says, he silenced the people, and before Moses said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
So you see this like torrent of um, almost hopelessness. And then Caleb butts in and he says, come on, guys, we can do it. And then it's almost like like a waterfall again after after 30, starting from 31. They overpower him with their cynicism again. And it says, and it says, and after he's just said that we can do it, it says 31. But the men who had got, gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. And it was, uh, it's about Caleb having the faith to see, um, see with the eyes of faith, really. You know, see with the eyes that, um, of what God was capable of doing. And then, um, but about the sort of the cynicism and hopelessness of the masses where where they um they weren't ready to hear that and and it didn't match with their reality of what they'd seen and uh, it actually gets worse not better I'm afraid because in chapter 14 it says um it says that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud all the israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will, take a, t- will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And it's kind of crazy that like in, uh, in like the space of like a few verses, we've gone from Caleb trying to get people to see it the way that he sees it through the eyes of hope and then they've gone from that and they've convinced themselves that God wants to kill them and uh, it'd be better if they were dead and uh, and it's this polarizing thing of these pers- perspectives or they've seen the same thing one um, Caleb's filled with hope and the other and the whole nation is filled with this this uh, but be- not just dread but actually belief that God is out to get them and God wants to God uh has only sent them here to kill them, and uh, and it's interesting how it, it like it it forces them to uh, what it does is it leads them to have some beliefs about God, about His nature, and about who He is, and um, yeah, and it's kind of it's a bit scary in a sense, but but like it reminded me so much of my attitude to be honest, like. Um, and how often like, I forget the goodness of God and His, uh, you know, His love as a father, and uh, and how often like our perspective, even though the situation can be exactly the same for two people, um, it's so much about perspective and about you know what have we got our eyes on. And uh, yeah, so we'll read on and I'll show you a few more things about this story because it's really interesting. It says. Um, Verse 5 and 14, it says, Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us um, into that land, a land, it, sorry, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And will give it to us. Um, only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Um, so yeah again we see Joshua and Caleb. The two out of the twelve. They they 
see through the eyes of what the Father has already done. And they see it not that not that they will get the land, but already, but that the land has already been given to them. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's what, that's what we're called to, that when we walk around this planet, <laughs> that we, we know that God goes before us and, and he has already got, got the victory. And, you know, it's the same thing that kind of, it's probably, we're crazy about at Kingsway, but living from victory and not, not for victory, but actually op- walking in that place where we know that, that Caleb and Joshua were the only people that saw, saw it as though it was already there, even though the reality said that it wasn't, you know? They walked into that land and they knew that, that God um, had already given and already promised that land, and for them that was as good as a done deal. Um, yeah, so I think that's really cool. And it says, um, if we read on a, a little bit, um, 14, 27. Okay, yeah. So it doesn't end well for a lot of people from this story. It says, um, verse 27, how, um, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of, any, every one of your 20 years old will be counted in the census. And who has grumbled against me? Not one of you will ever enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and, Je- and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said will be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last day of your bodies lies in the desert for 40 years uh, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land you will suffer for your sins and know that what it's like to have me against you I the Lord have spoken I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me they will meet their end in the in this desert here they will die so I don't want to dwell too much on this passage but what I do want to pick up on is the fact that the the it's I think it's a prophetic picture of what the gospel is that we enter through faith, we enter through the eyes of faith and and through accepting the victory that Jesus has already already given us. And what we see here is that the, that Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the spies which were able to enter into into the promised land because they were the only two that walked in faith in in trusting in the victory of God. Um. It says elsewhere, somewhere here, it says um, Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. You know, and, and it talks about also in, Ro- in Romans 7 how um, that like the, the system of the law, the system of, 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 of operating in this right and wrong legalistic way towards God had to be crucified, had to die in order for us to enter, enter the enter into grace and to into this this new system of walking with the father and communing with him uh, and that's what Joshua and Caleb do they're able to see that yeah and I just yeah I just wanted to encourage you guys like um, in 
in like as we sort of go through life to just have the courage to see from a different perspective and see keep keeping your eyes on Jesus keeping your eyes on the father um yeah um i always find it cool how like the the disciples whenever they you just whenever they hung out of Jesus seemed to get so much more confident they seemed to be so much more empowered and it's like the story of when Jesus is, um, takes, um, who's the guy that he took, he got from the tree, was it uh, Zacchaeus? And uh, Zacchaeus was like a, he was a bit of a um, dodgy guy with money. And then after, after he, uh, <laughs> after he uh, hung out with Jesus, Zacchaeus like gave all this money away. And there was just something about hanging out with Jesus that, that forced him to see the situation differently and empowered him to live differently. And, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, so I just want to share that because I think when I went to uni, it was, it was like, it was kind of cool because I came to iDestiny and encountered this gospel that I'd never really fully gra- grasped before. And uh, this new gospel of community, com- com- community with jesus and and uh and living life with jesus and then i went to uni and and it's kind of like what people thought of as christianity and what people thought of as what people thought jesus of was like so so different to the jesus that i'd encountered that it was like really shocking to me um but it's but what I saw it when I was at uni was that people are so desperate for like authenticity, and um, if you show them what it's like to um, live from this dis- different perspective of knowing who Jesus is and knowing that He is Emmanuel, God with us, that that is His name, and that's what that's what marks out the gospel that that our God, His name is God with us, that He, he cannot leave us, and it's not about this system of um, you know, uh, you know, doing right and wrong and living from this system of trying to please him, but it's living from a place of relationship um, that people like, people can sense that, people can uh, see that, even if they can't quite articulate it or they don't quite know what they're seeing. They, 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 can, uh, they, really, they really love that and they're drawn to it. And... Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to kind of return back to also Peter Rice because you missed what I was trying to say about Peter Rice. But Peter Rice was an engineer that I was mentioning earlier. That He was the first guy to um, like encourage engineers to be creative, basically. Um, but I think, you know, he was the first guy to really define engineers as people that, would, that, that should imagine and dare to dream and dare to... Um, uh, just do things for the fun of it, I guess. Like one one of Peter's first projects was was a moonlight theatre, just because he thought it would be fun. So it, like he, he he designed this theatre that was entirely lit by moonlight, and it had like um, had like mirrors all around it that re- that reflected the moonlight in onto the centre of the theatre. And like and it started off with him just saying, "Would this be possible?" And like and he just explored it, you know, and he did it and. And uh, and I think like the engineering community as a whole like really benefited from his out his like new perspective on it. 
and um, he didn't see things the same way other engineers saw things. Like um, he he would see like new situations as as, diff as challenges, and uh, rather than like shy away from them, he'd actually approach them like that. And I just wanted to encourage you like to have that view, you know, as you as you walk in your life with Jesus, just um, to 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 constantly ask him what is your reality and perhaps like just because you know what I've experienced is all is what I've always experienced then maybe there's more and maybe there's a there's a you know if I choose to see things if I choose to align my eyes to see the father then you know there might be a different perspective just like when Jesus you know everyone else saw a packed lunch but Jesus saw a meal for 5,000 people. And, um, and, uh, and just like with Caleb, when uh, the whole rabble were so overcome with hopelessness and cynicism and this belief that God is bad, Caleb was overcome with a sense of God's victory and the sense of his faithfulness. Um, yeah. And it, it's like, I remember when I went... Like when I was le first learning about healing and he and like miracles and and prophecy and things like that, and that was one of the things that really struck me about how, um, especially with healing, it's it's like it's so much about not so much having faith in in God, but it's about which God you're having faith in, you know, and because Jesus says. That you only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and uh, but the thing about seed is that it has to be planted in something, and and um, and it's uh, it's this whole thing of when I first started believing that God was good and He wanted to heal, I started seeing so much more healing because my perspective had changed. Suddenly, I was praying from a place of hope and expectation, and I wasn't praying from a place of hopelessness and desperation, and uh, yeah. And it was it was kind of a that was a big thing that changed for me um, during the course of like the last few years and and completing our destiny and things. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. So what I was gonna I just wrote like a few um, I wrote a few um, notes down here. It says um, it says uh, be like jo Joshua and Caleb. They dared to dream. They didn't let cynicism and hopelessness overcome them but instead they chose to believe God concerning the promises he had spoken over them. They looked at the size of the fruit when the other ten looked at the size of the armies. They focused on the strength of their God when others focused on the strength of their enemies. And then um, also I was just, um, as I was preparing this, I was also just reminded of the story of Mary and Martha um, because Ma Martha was the the one who uh, like kept like doing things. She kept like washing the pans and stuff, <laughs> and uh, and cleaning the house. And Mar and Mary was the one that sat with Jesus and communed and uh, listened to him. It says it says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his words. And um, and I think that's kind of if we can go back to the Peter Rice analogy, it's. It's kind of like his philosophy was about was about daring to imagine and daring to dream and uh and you know 
And I think like that's one thing we can learn from Mary, how she, she actually she dared to dream with Jesus and commune with him and and she she let his words influence her perspective. Um and it, then the last thing is be like Peter Rice. He imagined, he redefined. Um yeah, and then I just wrote here, in one sense, I think Peter Rice had a higher sense of what was possible than engineers before him. And I suppose that's why he inspires me. Yeah, so if you return back to the question that Peter was asking, he says, what is an engineer? And he came up with the definition. An engineer imagines. What is a Christian? What is a follower of Jesus? I think um, a really good answer to that is that a follower of Jesus imagines but we imagine with with God and uh, we dream with God um, and that's part of you know that's the joy of being living under grace because the the law there's nothing there's nothing creative about the law really you just do it you do right or wrong and you follow the steps a b and c but um with grace, it's a fluid relationship with a living person who speaks to us and is our father. And uh, and that's what I love. Like, I just love that. So, yeah. So I just encourage you guys to, like, ask, at, just dare to be hopeful when everyone else around you is telling you that, you know, you should be cynical and uh, and dare to, dare to dream with him and imagine what's possible and don't just accept... Um, you know, there's an expression that I learned in, uh, when I was doing GCSE PE. My PE teacher said, um, it's a famous quote apparently, but I'd never heard it before. It says, um, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And it's, and it's done in the context of like, um, it's said in the context of like physical training and stuff. So the idea is that you keep having to push yourself because you hit a plateau and then when you hit the plateau... And I think it's so often to get a bit like that when um, if you see something happening a lot, then it's easy to just get a bit cynical and think, you know, it's never going to change or whatever. But just have that childlikeness to just dare to imagine and dare to dream. Um, Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, I think um, with... Use go back to engineering. I always think in terms of like structural engineering because there's constantly like new materials being being discovered and things like. If we went back sort of fifty years to the buildings that were being built, all the buildings are just like basically this very similar. They're just like massive concrete columns, really over designed. You could probably put like another few stories on and they'd still be all right. But um, nowadays, like we're like there's more materials we understand the science of metals more so we can build more intricate buildings more um much cheaper because everything's more refined um and it's you know and it's that attitude of just like there's so much more that we don't know you know there's so much more but um it's about discovering and enjoying the journey of, of dreaming with him together Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.